Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Well, the NFL draft for 2022 has come and gone. And so the mock drafts have been replaced with more mock drafts, the way too early mock drafts, but also... They've been replaced with draft grades. And because of that, the idea of draft grades, the concept of draft grades, the merit of draft grades will immediately come alongside the draft grades. Well, it doesn't matter. Well, that's just this person's opinion. Well, I don't know how you could possibly get into that this early. All that stuff comes around. And I realized as I was listening to this debate on the interwebs, that I had never chimed in about my opinion on draft grades as a whole. And I thought, hey, you know what? This is the topic du jour. This is something that is salient to my listeners right now. So because of that, let's talk a little bit about them. I want to prepare people for the types of things that they're probably inevitably consuming when it comes to NFL media content right now. First off, I'm going to start with my personal opinion when it comes to draft grades, and that is that I don't like doing them, but I don't mind seeing them. Now, I'll tell you why I don't like doing them. I don't like doing them because no matter how much context you attempt to provide, no matter how much caveat you add to the recipe when you are having discussions about draft grades, it doesn't really matter. You're going to get yelled at anyway. It's a little bit like mock drafts. Every single mock draft that you've ever seen has said at the beginning, hey, the order here is based on Super Bowl odds from Vegas. But that doesn't stop people from yelling that the Seahawks won't be picking 24th or the Bills are picking 32nd. It's always based on Vegas odds until the actual draft order is decided upon. But that doesn't stop people from yelling. You keep thinking to yourself as the author of these pieces, well, goodness gracious, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the opportunity to open my draft grades article with two or three paragraphs that will help to in-depth wise explain the way that I came about these grades. And surely that will matter. No, because people will click on it. They will scroll down to their team. They will look at the letter grade. They will ignore the rest of it. And then they will yell at you. That's the reason why I don't like doing draft grades. Now, I'll do them because as mentioned before, people click on them. People like them. We all say we hate mock drafts, but yet we continue to click on them. They are one of the most highly trafficked articles every week for their respective outlets. The reason why Mock Draft Monday is a thing is because you consume it. Guess what? We also consume the grades. We love to consume draft grades. That's the reason people do it. The reason they put it out is because we keep reading it. Now, we might keep reading it because we want to rage at the author, but for whatever reason, we click on it. So that's the reason why I don't love doing them. However, 
I don't have a problem with them. And I'll tell you why, and then I'll explain. The reason why I don't have a problem with draft grades is because if you took away the grade entirely from the paragraph on your team, if you took away the grade entirely, you would probably not yell as much. Because you know what we call it at that point? An opinion piece. We don't yell nearly as much about opinion pieces, but there's something about that individual grade that triggers people so significantly. That's the reason why I don't have a problem with them. Because every draft grade article you've ever read is an opinion piece based on that author's lens. That author came into the draft with their preconceived ideas of who were good players, who were bad players, and what the team needs were. And because of that, they came out of the draft with whether or not the realities lined up with their expectations. Ultimately, draft grades are the convergence of three different things. The names, the needs, and the numbers. Draft grades are a convergence of the three things. The names, the needs, and the numbers. The names. How did that person, how did that grader feel about that player? Do they like those players? Do they not like those players? This is going to impact the grading system. Because again, it's an opinion piece. If you draft a player and they go, you know, I, I, I didn't really feel like that player was draftable and your team draft them in the fifth round, then that's going to be a negative mark against your team's grade. It's an opinion piece. When it comes to needs, it's the way that the grader interpreted the team needs. Because guess what? Your team might not draft for need, but whether or not your team comes out of the draft with what the grader views as being your team's most significant needs filled, that's going to impact the grade they give. Did the grader like the way that the needs were filled? Now, the grader could have different interpretations of long-term needs. They could have different interpretations of short-term needs. If the Buffalo Bills would have not come out of the draft with a corner at all, zero corners coming out of the draft, that would have impacted most people's grades because most people came into the draft thinking that that was the most significant need. Now, we know, because we talked about it before the draft, that the most significant need doesn't have to line up with the most significant expenditure. But that's my opinion. What if their opinion's different? Again, just an opinion piece written by an analyst. If the Panthers would have come out of the draft and not drafted a quarterback, the only thing that every single grader would have said was, what's the plan at quarterback? And that would have negatively impacted the grade for the Panthers, for pretty much everybody. Then the speculation would run rampant as to the Baker Mayfield trading things. But if they hadn't addressed it at all, there's a vacuum left behind in that grader's mind, and it has to be filled with something. Either it's filled with Baker Mayfield speculation, or it's made up for with a negativity in a grade. The third thing is the numbers. So the names, the needs, and the numbers. How much draft capital did that team actually have? And how wisely did they spend it? Now, different graders could view this differently. Some people could view this as a measure of efficiency. 
man, you only had three picks, but you really, you really did really well with them. I really like what you did. Other analysts might view it as a total team improvement metric, which means it's naturally going to be slanted toward teams who had more draft capital. The Giants and the Jets are going to come out with better grades because they had two top 10 picks, each one of them. The Texans are going to come out more because they had two top 13 picks. But these are things that influence the opinion of the analyst, which influences the draft grade. Football Outsiders actually grades three different things to get around this. How much the roster was improved, how well they interpreted that you used the resources, how well you met the needs. And then they have a final composite. So they actually break their grades down so it's easier to see. But the fact of the matter is, the fact that Football Outsiders breaks it down is further proof that it's already included in everybody else's draft grades. The difference is they're just not doing as good of a job of enumerating what goes into the grade. So the opinion's right there. It's just showing up in this letter form. Sometimes it's not broken down, but all this stuff is going into it. And if we took away the letter grade, we'd probably have very little issue. Well, Bruce... Well, we should wait three years to grade a draft. Why? You you had opinions on the players before the draft, right? You have opinions on the teams. So if you have opinions on the players and you have opinions on the teams, why would you not have an opinion on the players you already watched going to the teams you already watch? You can have opinions. You can just end up being wrong. And that's okay. But I have no problem with draft grades. I have no problem with someone who watched David Bell and said, hey, David Bell's going to be a stud. And then the Browns pick him and they go, man, he would fit really well in that offense. They have a need there at that wide receiver. I'm really excited he was there at 99 for the Browns. And think positively of that maneuver. I have no problem with this. You had an opinion on the Browns. You had an opinion on their needs. You had an opinion on the player before the draft. Why on earth, now that those two things are aligned now that the player's on the team, now I'm not allowed to have an opinion on it. Now I have to wait three years. Well, I, I had an opinion on the horn and I had an opinion on the horse. So I get to have an opinion on the unicorn. Like that's how this works. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. Now, obviously, if you didn't know anything about anything, then you're just throwing spaghetti at a wall. But... Most of the people doing this are people who cover the NFL for a living. So I have no problem with draft grades. None. At all. Because essentially, they're just opinion pieces. This is how I think your team did. I hope I'm right. And that's it. And I'm fine with it. We are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We've got emails to get into. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We talked about draft grades. We talked about why I'm cool with them. We are going to go through some emails, and then at the end, we're going to talk about my opinion on the draft picks. David says, I have a question on Kair Elam. Do we think he's good enough to start until Trey gets back? And were the Cowboys a big threat to take him. I don't know if the Cowboys were a big threat to take him, but I think they were somewhat of a threat to take him. I think that they fit that scheme, and I think that 
they'd very much like to get some help on the back end. So for me, I think there's a possibility, but even more so than that, I think there's another possibility and that's someone could have jumped the bills because one of the things that we've talked about on this podcast multiple times is how Brandon Bean has historically done a really good job of not telegraphing his intentions before the draft. He fills holes with reasonable veterans before the draft so that when it comes to us, we're all going, I don't know, he could take anything. I don't know, he could take a corner, he could take a receiver, he could take an end, I don't know. But this year he didn't. And the downside to that is that it telegraphs. It causes people to look at your team and go, the Bills need a corner. I'll bet you they'll take Kair Elam here. And then that allows you to get jumped. The more glaring a need or a tendency is, the more likely you are as a team to get jumped for that need or tendency. If you have a propensity for a certain type of player and that's well telegraphed and everybody knows that, you're more than likely going to be at risk to get jumped for a player of that tendency. If you have a glaring need at quarterback, you might want to trade up. That's one of the reasons why trading up for a quarterback has become so popular is because usually everybody knows you need a quarterback. And if you sit there, then you might get jumped. So go get your guy. It's the reason why that exists. So this year was a little different because we all thought there was a glaring need for the Bills at cornerback. Well, if we thought that, do you think that there are other teams who probably thought that too? We know that teams keep boards in their draft rooms of other team needs. We know that. We've seen it. It shows up in draft rooms around the league. Oh, the Bills. Well, what do the Bills need? Well, the Bills need a corner. Do you remember when the Panthers traded up above the Buffalo Bills and Brandon B was like, oh no, this is going to be Cody Ford. They need a tackle. It's going to be Cody Ford. And it was a tackle, but it was Greg Little. That's what I'm talking about. So I don't necessarily know if the Cowboys were a big threat. I think they were somewhat of a threat, but more so than them being a big threat, that fourth round pick that the Bills lost, that's the cost of telegraphing a need. That's what you get for telegraphing a need. You end up losing a fourth round pick because you got to trade up to make sure you get your guy. That's part of what happens. And if Kyir Elam is your last first round grade, go get your dude. Now, the first question, do I think he's good enough to start until Trey gets back? There was some optimism around the Buffalo Bills that Tredavious White would be able to open the season. I don't know if that's necessarily optimism well-placed, but there was some optimism there. And yes, is the answer. I think that Kyir Elam, with his experience in the SEC and having three years of college experience and this system being something that's not overly complex, I think this is a scenario where he could come in and start in the event that Tredavious White missed any time. Evan says, I have an almighty take on Kyir Elam, and that is that Tom Brady's last touchdown pass of his career will be to Kyir Elam on the last drive of the game in Arizona in February of 2023. Bills win 38-31. I see what you did there. I see what you did there with your pick six, my friend. I'm all the way in on it. All the way in on it. Pat says, hello, good sir. I first wanted to say thank you for everything you do. The podcast is a real bright spot in the week for me. I choose not to engage in social media, but will occasionally log on the old bird app to see what's on Bruce's mind. I started a rewatch of WandaVision, 
prior to Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness releasing, and something unexpected hit me. Anytime someone says vision, I think about James Cook and researching Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. It's really jarring. Also, as one of the titular characters on the show, they sure do say the name Vision all the time. What MCU's character role in the long list of team-up movies or shows would you compare each of the Bills' 2022 draft picks to? I'll start. I think Matareza is like Ant-Man in Captain America Civil War. He provides some very memorable scenes in the airport fight, but he's certainly not the reason the movie was great. I see James Cook as being Doctor Strange in Spider-Man No Way Home. He can get things kicked off and provide big moments, but can also disappear for an hour or two and the movie doesn't seem to suffer for it. Love to hear your thoughts. Fighting the good fight in Eagles country, Pat. Okay, so because of Pat, I am going to go through each of the Buffalo Bills draft picks, which I was going to do anyway, and we're going to talk about my thoughts on them. And normally we do food metaphors on this podcast and on Food for Thought with Nate Geary on Friday nights, but... This time, we're going to do MCU metaphors. And you know what? The first topic of the day was fairly heavy and philosophical, and this topic is not going to be any of those things. It's not going to be heavy or philosophical. So let's get started. Kair Elam. Kair Elam is Captain America, and I will tell you why. One of the most important parts of the Captain America origin story in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the discussion that he has with Stanley Tucci's character, the doctor who initially invents the super soldier serum in Captain America First Avenger. And Stanley Tucci's character is talking to him. By the way, Stanley Tucci is fantastic. I will literally watch anything he's in. He is one of the greatest character actors of my life. And I am all in on Stanley Tucci, just so you know. Big fan. So, he looks at him and says, whatever happens tomorrow, you must promise me one thing. That you will stay who you are. Not a perfect soldier, but a good man. Kyrielum is not a perfect prospect by any means. But when you're picking where the Buffalo Bills are picking, perfect prospects aren't really a thing. Those top 10, top 5, top 6 picks, obviously nobody's a perfect prospect. But as far as getting a prospect that flaws are difficult to find, they're entirely well-rounded, that's really not a thing. But... I mean, how can you not root for Kair Elam? I'm sure you've seen by now the clip that has been percolating its way around social media about the way that Kair Elam handled his interview with the Buffalo Bills at the Combine and how he said, you know, I am a really good note taker. I want to be the best note taker. And you saw how diligent he was. And you saw what a student of the game he was. And you thought, I can root for that guy. I can absolutely root for that guy. Now, that doesn't mean he's not a really good athlete and he doesn't run really fast. And Captain America, one of the first things that happened after he became the super soldier was he realized exactly how fast he was. He was probably running faster than a 439, but he was running real fast. And ironically enough, he was running so fast that he was a little bit stiff. He kind of was going a little too fast and couldn't quite take the turn. Kair Elam is a long, fast, not necessarily super fluid athlete. Very much like the opening scene of Captain America First Avenger right after he got his powers. So that's my Kair Elam MCU comparison. James Cook is Black Widow. And I'll tell you why. If you saw the draft video 
of James Cook getting drafted, you'll notice a very serious look on his face. Now, we can have a separate discussion about why he had that look on his face, but it kind of sparked some funny jokes around the internet that night. Black Widow also very serious, down to business, and also has a very specialized role. And if you make sure that Black Widow doesn't stray outside of her role, she can be an extremely effective member of your team. James Cook has work to do as a pure runner. But if you're asking him to do the things that he's good at, he can be an extremely valuable contributor to this Buffalo Bills offense. If you ask Black Widow to go toe-to-toe with Thanos, that's asking for trouble. That's not what she does. Make sure she's doing the things that she needs to do to be effective, and your team can be effective. But don't ask her to do things she can't do. In that way, James Cook, Black Widow. Terrell Bernard is Rocket Raccoon. When you first see Rocket Raccoon coming in, you go, okay, um, what? Why, why, is, why is there a talking raccoon with a gigantic gun? I don't understand. He's small. He's fast. He seems like a freak athlete. He takes his job very seriously. I'm just confused about his presence. I don't know why Rocket right now this way. I don't get it. I don't see how it fits. I don't have a problem with Rocket. It just feels like there almost might be some strange redundancy here because he's a small guy. He's got a big gun. Like we couldn't find anybody else who was small and had a big gun. Like did we have to invest a spot on the Guardians of the Galaxy for Rocket Raccoon? I don't get it. Is it the wisecracks? Is that the reason why? Terrell Bernard, Rocket Raccoon. Khalil Shakir is Captain Marvel. Why is Khalil Shakir Captain Marvel? Because late in Avengers Endgame, all of a sudden, streaking down from the sky, you see Captain Marvel ripping a hole through Thanos' spaceships, and you go, you couldn't have showed up a little earlier? We could have used you a little bit earlier. Listen, I know you showed up to the team late, but we got to steal, I got to be honest. For it to be this late in the battle, and for us to be getting reinforcements of this caliber... Oh, goodness gracious, what a steal. I'm, I'm thrilled. Matt Ariza is the Incredible Hulk. Man, that kid can smash. Absolutely. Matt Ariza smash. Some control would be good. They've got some things to learn. We have to make sure that we polish this up a little bit. But the raw power is serious. Christian Benford is the Wasp. From Ant-Man and the Wasp. Maybe get second billing to another superhero that has similar traits that shows up first on the marquee, like Kyrie or Elam. But that doesn't mean they can't make meaningful contributions. They're still a good athlete, just like Ant-Man. They still have the ability to shrink, just like Ant-Man. In fact, maybe they can do some things the other person can't. But because they show up second on the billing instead of first on the billing, they get a little slept on. Now, I'm not saying you're going to make an entire movie about just the Wasp. Probably not. But they don't deserve to just be completely disregarded because they have a lot of talent. They have a lot of skill and they have some traits that actually mirror Ant-Man. Luke Tenuta is Modoc. I recognize that I am stretching this a little bit because the most recent Modoc show that was on Hulu is not technically part of the MCU canon. However, it was too much fun. I don't know if you are familiar with Modoc, but Modoc stands for Mental 
organism designed only for killing. And Modok has the most unique body type I think I've ever seen. He's got shorter arms than you would expect for his height, but he moves well. He's aggressive. Yeah, Luke Tenuta, Modok. Mechanized organism designed only for killing. Balin Specter is the Dora Milaje. The Dora Milaje are the Black Panther royal guards and bodyguards. People you absolutely want to have on your team, 100%. Now, you don't want them to star in their own movie. But as far as getting them out there on teams, they're good athletes. They can do damage. You don't know if you're necessarily going to be able to have a role for them all the time. They might not be able to fit in every scene or every movie. And quite frankly, sometimes some footage that features them might have to be left on the cutting room floor. But if you're looking for a specific thing that the Dora Milaje can do, they're going to do it well. And there's always going to be value in that. Just like Balin Spector and potentially being a backup playing on special teams. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. I have just given my opinion on all of the draft picks through the lens of MCU characters. Why? Because this show comes out on Thursday. And by the time Thursday rolls around, you've heard everything ad nauseum for the last week about these players. So we're going to mix it up. We're going to talk about draft grades. We're going to do some MCU stuff. We're going to answer some emails. We did it. And we did it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive. And if you thought it got a little wacky, and you're walking away from this podcast going, goodness gracious, what the heck was that? Well, then you know what? I got nothing to say to you except for, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Buffalo Rumblings.